We're starting a new series today, and as, as you may or may not have seen, it's called Let It Go. Now, I struggled with that, because when I say that, I know, that what, I know what most people think of right away, especially parents think of something right away, because um, of, of a certain movie that came out a little while ago that had a song that was Let It Go, that if you think about it, it really didn't make any sense anyhow, but that's a whole other story. So I didn't want to call it this, but this just seemed to make the most sense. So I went through a couple, I actually spent way more time than I should have, going through things, what could we call this other than that so people wouldn't get the wrong idea. So these are some of the possible titles that I was going to call the sermon. My first choice was Lose It. I thought, wait a minute. There's actually a weight loss app called Lose It, and I've used it. And you can see the app doesn't work as well as it's supposed to. Actually, it's not the app's fault. So I decided that's a bad title. We don't want to call it that. I thought, have you lost it? But then for some people, that has a whole other connotation. And so we're just not going to go there. That's a different direction. Um, uh, we're going to talk about the, the, the weight that holds us back, that keeps us from doing the things that we need to do. So I thought, of what about lose the weight? Again, more weight loss connotation. We'll save those for the beginning of the year when we do the New Year's resolution thing and everybody wants to lose weight. So along that same line, I thought, well, we could play off a TV show and call it The Biggest Loser. (laughs) Everybody would want to come to a church where you talked about The Biggest Loser, right? So decided not to go there. We're not going to do that. I thought of tips for packing light. This was kind of a little closer to home for me. Um, uh, tips for packing light. That was a little, I, I said, yeah, that's getting closer. We actually, one time, a couple years ago, Julie and I um, were, as you may or may know, we're, we're cheap. We're thrifty. We're whatever word you want to use. Um, we, we found a vacation that we wanted to take, um, and it was like five days or something like that. And, and I'll tell you, it was a cruise. And it came to like $25 a night. It's like, you can't stay in a Motel 6 for that, and we're going to cruise. But you had to get to Florida. So we got this cheapo, cheapo cruise. It's going to be a blast, but we have to get to Florida. So how can we get to Florida? We can't drive. None of our cars at that time would make it. How do we get to Florida? So we have to fly. So we start looking. And of course, cheapest airline is Spirit Airline. Spirit Airline is where if you want a seat, you pay extra. If you want a seat belt with that seat, another charge, put right on there. And by the time, it's not, and so we decided we're going to go as cheap as we can. And so you couldn't check your bag without spending money. You couldn't have the carry-on to put over the thing without spend, or the, whatever that's called, carry-on, yeah. You could have the personal item, which had to fit under the little teeny seat. So we looked at each other, what do you think? Five days? We can fit everything for five days in something this big, you know? Um, it's just us two. And so we thought, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> I'm excited about it, actually. And, uh, and, and it worked. We thought nobody's going to be there that knows us. They won't, nobody will see us. But we fit everything in that. So for me, when I say tips for packing light, that's, that's that, but it's still not there yet. So I thought, what about losing the baggage? Because we all have baggage, you know, lose the baggage. When I thought of losing the baggage, then it's like, then people have horror stories of, yeah, I flew on an airplane and they lost my baggage and here's what happened and I arrived, my clothes didn't, whatever, whatever. So skip that. And, and uh, then I thought, what about, what's weighing you down? And, and then I thought, the first place that too many people are going to go is they're going to not think of a what, they're going to think of a who. Who's weighing me down? Who can I get rid of? We don't want to go there right now. How to lighten the load. That's another one. It's the right idea, but it just didn't click. So I settled on this. I settled on let it go because for me, it, it was easiest to realize that this is really what we're going to talk about, not 
about Frozen. I'm sorry. Those of you who came thinking we were going to do a series on Frozen, I'm sorry. Um, I understand your disappointment. I know somebody who shares your disappointment. Go ahead and show this picture up here. She wanted Frozen stuff for Christmas. (laughs) Those are Frozen peas. (laughs) For those of you listening online, you miss a lot when you're not here. So just just saying. So what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks is um, let it go. Uh, letting go, for instance, of what weighs us down, of what holds us down, of what holds us back. That's what we're going to talk about. And where this comes from, um, in Hebrews 12, well, you've got to go back a step. In Hebrews 11, there's, there's, there's this whole thing, it's called the Faith Hall of Fame, kind of. It talks about all these people who did this stuff by faith. Some of them were great, amazing things. Some of them were really difficult, hard things that didn't end um, from a, a worldly perspective the way everybody wanted. But they lived these lives by faith, and it was amazing how they did it. And after it talks about all these people that did their thing by faith, it says in verse 12, or verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore, and the therefore is all of that that it just talked about, the life of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. I actually thought about that for one of my titles, stripping off, but it has a different connotation. We could have (laughs) record crowds here, but for the wrong reason. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And it's very important when we look at that. He says, he wants you to run with endurance the race set before you. And here's what you have to get from that. The race set before you is not the race set before me. The race set before you is not necessarily the race set before someone sitting next to you. He has a race for us. And we have things in our lives that weigh us down and trip us up. And sometimes my things are not your things and your things are not my things. But those things keep us from running the race that we should run and from having the life that we should have. What I'm learning as I get older is as life goes on, one of the things we do is we accumulate. And it's not just stuff we accumulate. We accumulate distractions. We accumulate hurts. We accumulate disappointments. And what we want to talk about for a few weeks here leading up to Christmas is letting go of distractions, letting go of bitterness, letting go of control, letting go of failure, letting go of that. Today, what we're going to talk about, and I'm apologizing ahead of time, I am going to be stepping on some toes today. But I got it first, okay? I got stepped on first. We're going to talk about letting go of stuff today. It's very interesting to me that this message, I didn't even think about this when I was preparing it, that it comes right after, you know, we we gather on Thursday and we're so thankful on Thursday at Thanksgiving, and after that comes Black Friday, where everybody's punching each other and trying to get the best deals and all that. Right after all those sales, we're going to talk about letting go of stuff. Um, We don't do the Black Friday thing. I don't know if you do or not. We We did once. The kids were still at home. We had, I think it was a camera that we wanted to get, and it was this like really nice camera, really screaming deal, we wanted to get this camera for Becca. Um, It was a Best Buy, and it was Black Friday, and it was, you know, wall quantities last, the whole spiel. And so Best Buy, there, there is, in case you didn't know, there is not one in Pine City. And so we had Thanksgiving that year at the in-laws down in the cities, and so we thought, we're just gonna sleep over there. 
and we're going to get up. They open at some like unholy hour, you know, five, four o'clock or something. And so we're going to sleep down there so that we can sneak up and get up and go down and get that. And we're going to be all excited. It's going to be really good. And so we get up at this horrible hour and, and we drive there. It's, you know, pitch black outside. And as we pull up, we were kind of pulling up and, and we're looking and we get out and we start walking up and it, it's, it's, get, it's going to be open shortly, but there's people standing there in a line and I, I didn't know any of this, all the way across the front of the store. Best Buy a, was a big store all the way down the side of the building. All the way the back of the building, people are lined up, and it's like, ah, I don't think so. At that moment, we're standing there looking at this, and the kid, I, I feel sorry for him, he came, he came out and did nothing in terms of instructions. He opened all the doors. And so instantly, there's a mob we got pushed into the store. We're in the store now, and I feel guilty because there's all these people who are waiting. They're not going to get there until well after we're in there. But we couldn't help it. We get in there, and so we know what we want. We're making a beeline for that department. We get to that department, and what they do is they have cards like this. They don't give you the actual thing. You have to get in line there and get your card. So we got like the last card for this camera, and we're all excited. So you have to take it over here to this person, and you turn your card in, and they will give you the camera. And so Julie and I walk over to this guy and pretend this is the guy. He's standing there, and I go like this. Julie's here, and I walk up, and I hand him the card like this, and a lady comes running by, takes the card out of my hand, and runs away. And I looked at the guy. I looked at Julie, and it's like, yeah, I was expecting sympathy. He goes, oh, well, you ain't got a card, man. <laughs> sucks to be you. And, and it's like, we left. We left. We looked around for a few seconds, and we left. We ended up finding a better thing somewhere else, better. Lesson learned, not doing that. But I think it's interesting how many people, and I'm not saying it's bad to get deals. I'm just saying that frenzy of, of stuff, of getting stuff, I think it's funny that we're going to talk and have a message that's entitled, um, Let It Go, and it's letting go of stuff um, right after that. Um, I believe that this message can potentially impact life as much as any other message from this entire year. It could change us. I know at least it will mine. This is, this is huge for me. This is tough for me. I'm just saying that right up front. This is a really hard one for me. Um, and it's so funny, in preparing for this, um, I, you know, I'm reading through this Bible as like a story, and, and I don't have any control over where it's at, but we just finished Proverbs, and we're jumping into Ecclesiastes now. So I'm reading five, six chapters a day, and, and coming through this. All of my reading this past week was on this. It kept talking about this. Oh, chasing after stuff, that's no good. And in fact, the main verse that we're going to use today was my reading for Friday as I'm doing this. And it was just kind of funny. I want to say, you have a good sense of humor, God. You know that I really must need this. Um, we've actually, we talk about this in different ways a lot. I just reminded you, for instance, in our series on heaven that we did, that this world as it is, is not our home. We live like it is, and we accumulate like it is, but it's not our home. Here's a key thought for you to keep in mind as we walk through this today. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. Does that make sense? It, it, it might make sense, but you might not like how that comes out. Here's what we're going to do. When we say that, we say, yep, it's better to have less of what doesn't matter, more of what does. Every single thing 
in our culture in America screams the opposite continuously. In fact, what the culture is screaming reflects what is one of the very first lies ever told. In the Garden of Eden, you have God creates the universe and says, it's good, it's good, it's good. He creates Adam and Eve and says, it's very good. And he places them in this perfect environment, in this perfect paradise. You know, they have jobs tending everything, but it's not like jobs and work and everything. I mean, there's no weeds. There's no thorns yet. I, I believe with all my heart, no mosquitoes as they're working there. In fact, if you're looking for something to be grateful for today, in the middle of the snowstorm, haven't seen one mosquito. <laughs> See? There's, there's a silver lining in every dark cloud. But they're in this perfect environment. They're in paradise. And God says, look at all this that I've made for you. It's incredible. It's very good. And they're just overwhelmed. And he says, look at all these trees you can eat from, all this stuff you can do. Just one thing. All of these trees you can eat from, all these trees, but this one here, just this one here, don't eat from that one. What do you think they did? They did the same thing we do. Because there was an enemy. And the enemy, Satan, came to them like through a serpent. And it's like, oh, look at that tree. (laughs) It's like, I can't eat from that one. I can eat all the other ones. But yeah, but look at that tree. Did God really say that you could? Why would God say that? Why would God not want you to do that? Doesn't he want you to be happy? And he starts telling the lies that we hear every day. Same lies. And those lies are what you don't have. It doesn't matter how much you have that's good. What you don't have is what you need to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be complete. You, yeah, you have all this, but look at what you don't have. Wouldn't that make you happy? Wouldn't that be nice? Same lies today, because what he's saying is more is always better. More is always better. If a dollar's good, two dollars is better, right? You know, if a car is good, two cars are better. That's what we hear. Rockefeller, some of you don't know who Rockefeller is. Rockefeller um, was at one point the world's richest man. He was actually the first ever American billionaire. And we think, yeah, big deal. Half the people in Washington are billionaires now on our dime. You know, that's a whole other story. But when you consider that he was a billionaire in the early 1900s, when the value of money was significantly different, he is still considered the richest person in modern history. He was asked one time by a reporter, because he had so much, the reporter said to him, how much money is enough? You know what his response was? Just a little bit more. (laughs) Just a little bit more. Now, Lest you think he was a bad guy. He wasn't a bad guy. He basically invented modern-day philanthropy. Gave incredibly. Um, was, a, was a Christian, devout Christian. Gave to a lot of Christian universities. Gave to further the gospel. Gave to mission stuff. But it, I think it's funny that when you ask someone who has literally more than anyone, how much is enough? The answer is just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Because more is always better. Or is it? When I think of this, one story, one story always comes to mind for me. I was in college. I went to college in Pennsylvania. 
I lived in Ohio. It was 400 miles away. So it's an eight-hour drive. It would not be today, but they took a vote in Washington, and the day I got my driver's license, the national speed limit went to 55. And they did that, like, let's, let's mess with Tim. He's wanted to go 80 his whole life, 55 everywhere. So eight hours is what it took. And I had an old, old Volkswagen Beetle, the old kind that didn't have heat. Um, and I would drive, it was so funny, hilly in Pennsylvania, the truckers knew me. They'd blow their horn at me, they knew me. On the downhills, they all moved over. Because I had to go, like, I won't use any euphemisms, I had to go fast, a little more than 55, down the hills, because if I didn't, I didn't make it up the other side. And so I'd fly down the hill, fly up, and they all laughed at me. But I'd drive this Volkswagen, no heat, and I'd pack all my stuff in the back, seat behind me, and put the, put the stuff in there and go to school. And I have, I have a weakness, many weaknesses, but one of my weaknesses is my mom would make homemade cheesecake. And I loved my mom's homemade cheesecake. One year, one time, she made a, a, a 9 by 13 pan of this cheesecake. It weighed like 20 pounds. And she said, you can get there, you'll be the hero. You can share it with all you know, the people in your dorm and everything will be cool. So I put it in the back on top of everything because there's no heat, it's going to stay cold, everything's going to be fine. So I'm driving there and as I'm going, I, I have no money as a college student. I have enough to fill up the gas tank once to be able to stop halfway and get gas and make it the rest of the way. And I'm going, it's like, I don't want to stop and eat, I didn't bring anything and I'm starving. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I got cheesecake. So um, I'd like to say that I stopped, you know, sensibly and safely and got the cheesecake out. But I did it while I was driving. And I reached back here and I get the cheesecake up and I cut it. And I get one piece of cheesecake and it's like, oh, that was good. Eight hours later when I got to college, the pan was empty. (laughs) And I could tell you that more is not better. (laughs) In like, terms that you really wouldn't want to know about, but I can say definitively, more is not always better. It seemed like it at the time, but it was very short-lived. Here's the verse for today. Ecclesiastes 4.6, the wisest person who ever lived. God gave Solomon more wisdom than anybody. And he writes this in Ecclesiastes 4.6, better one handful with tranquility, with peace, with wholeness than two handfuls with toil chasing after the wind, stress, pushing, 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 pushing. He says, better one handful with tranquility. You see, it's about less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. Because your life is too valuable. Your calling is too great. Your God is too good to waste your life on stuff that doesn't last. And yet so many people do that. Jesus warned us about this. There's a, there's a story, a powerful story, these two brothers. Um, the, I don't know if the dad died or had died yet or was going to die, but they're talking about the inheritance. They're excited about the inheritance, but they're arguing about it about, you know, who's going to get what. And Jesus, although he's speaking in this story, he's talking to us today when he says this. When it comes to arguing about this money stuff, he says this, watch out, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He's telling us this because it's something that we're all going to struggle with. 
Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And, and then his next words, uh, is some of my favorite of all the things he ever said. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's not life. But for so many people, it is. I want to make sure that you're still with me. It's a smaller crowd than normal. So you've you got to help me out. Repeat after me. Okay? My life. And I'm really glad you said my life and not your life because this is not just about me. It's about you too. Let's start over. My life life does not consist consist of my stuff. stuff. You need to be able to say that to yourself over and over and over again because everything around you will tell you something different. You see, I am not what I have. I am not what I own. I am not what I drive. I am not what I wear. That's not me. But you need to get ready because we have just entered the season where every single message that you hear from commercials to ads to posts online to to every single kind of media message you can think of will be shouting the opposite. The lie is you are what you have. You are what you own. You are what you drive. You are what you wear. The lie is, what you don't have is what you need. It's what you need to be happy, to be popular, to be cool, to be hip, to fit in, to feel good about yourself, to measure up. If you don't have it, you need it. That's the message we're going to be getting. Let me ask you this. What if the stuff you have is really robbing you of the life you want? I would like to offer a better way a more biblical way to live. And taking from that verse in Ecclesiastes, we're going to call it one handful living. One handful living. And I'm just going to look at three very quick, brief things to help us know what it would be like. How could we do one handful living? Here's the first thing. Very simple. Throw out. Throw out. In fact, I would say, throw it out as if your life depends on it, because for some of us it does. I know that Julie's doing everything she can right now to laugh, because she knows this is me. This is me. We need to remember that our life does not consist in the abundance of things. I'm not just talking about decluttering, because we've gone through all that. You know, I can take all the stuff and I can organize it better. (laughs) You know what that means? You'll never see it again. But it's there. I have things that I haven't unpacked yet. I've lived in my house 20 years. (laughs) In fact, I packed them not at the last house. I probably packed them at the house before that. (laughs) It's not about better organizing. It's not about decluttering. It's about de-owning. It's about getting rid of it because here's what I know. Owning less is way better than organizing more. I can own less. I ain't wired to organize better. That's not going to happen. Julie reminded me of something, and the way she said it was just so profound. We spent the first 40 years getting. We got about 20 left. We're going to spend the last 20 getting rid of. That's just weird when you think about it. Same problem happened with a guy, Matthew 19. He's come to be known as the rich young ruler. And the reason for that is because he was rich. 
and he was young. <laughs> and he was a ruler. So, rich young ruler. Here's the thing. He was a good guy. He did the right things. But he knew that something was missing from his life. He had the stuff, but he didn't have Jesus. He even had the right rituals and rules and regulations because he asked Jesus, I got all this, but I, I want, how do I inherit eternal life? And they talked for a little bit about the, the, the commandments. You know, this commandment, and that commandment, do this, do that. He says, you know, I, I do that. I've done that. And so Jesus says something to him that he doesn't say to everybody. He's not necessarily saying this to you. I don't know. But I know he doesn't say this to everybody because it can be misinterpreted. But he knows this guy's heart. And so when this guy says, I've done all those things, what's, what's, what should I do? Jesus tells him, sell everything. Give the money to the poor. And you'll store up treasure in heaven where it can't be taken away. And you'll have real life. Not just eternal, eternal life, but real life. He's telling him, let go of what doesn't matter so that you can have more of what does. And it'd be nice if this story had a real happy ending and the guy said, yeah, and sold the stuff and sort of treasure in heaven and followed Jesus. But Jesus told him that because he knew his heart. And that's not the answer the guy gave. It's actually an incredibly sad verse. In Matthew 19, 22, it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. Now, the wealth is not what's wrong. That, that wasn't the problem. The wealth, the stuff, the riches, that's not the problem. His heart was the problem. You see, for him, that was an idol. Here's what I know. You never know what idols you have until Jesus asks you to give them up. And then you realize, oh, <laughs> I guess I was putting an awful lot of importance on that. And he knew that about this guy, and that's what he asked him. You see, it's never wrong to have things. Don't get that from this message. It's not wrong to have things. It's wrong when things have you. That's the difference. When they've grabbed a hold of you so that they are the idols, so that they are the things. If Jesus came to you and said, can you give that up? You'd say, mm, yeah, I can, but I'm not. If what you have distracts you from what matters, throw it out. I'm not talking like spouses and stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm, we're talking stuff, okay? But we like to hold on to stuff. There's two main reasons that we hold stuff, you know? All kinds of stuff. Might be your knickknacks, you know, your, your VHS tapes, your junk drawer full of stuff, you know? Unworn clothes because... It's, it's going to come back in style. I just know it. There's two reasons that we hold on to stuff. The first one is fear. Both of these are just, they're biggies for me. Because I'm afraid because I might need it. <clears throat> Here's the rule for me at my house. It doesn't matter how long I keep something. The day after I get rid of it, I need it. It's like, where is that? Oh, I got rid of that. That's, and I have that fear. So, hence, don't get rid of anything because someday you're going to need it. Or the kids might want it. I have my kids' stuff. They don't want my stuff. I still have half of their stuff. 
But for me, the biggest thing about this is that I grew up poor. My parents didn't have money. And I had this poverty mindset that you didn't waste anything. You didn't get rid of anything. You were creative and figured out how to make things work. And so you, you, this could work for this and I could do that. And so you are afraid that you might need it. You are afraid that um, I, I'm going to waste it. And so you hang on to everything. And here's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be, I do this sometimes out loud when I'm getting ready to throw stuff away. It's a hard thing for me. It's, it's like everything in me is like, don't do it. But I know I have to. And here's what I do. And I've actually done this. I do it out in the pole barn so nobody can hear me. But I have actually said, as I'm holding this thing that I'm going to get rid of, God, I trust you to be my provider in the future. And then I let it go. Because if God can create everything, he can provide for me tomorrow when I need that thing that I just let go. And he might be able to even do it in a more amazing way. So the new rule for me is that if I haven't used it like in a year, okay, it, move it out. That doesn't count for seasonal stuff. Because like in Minnesota, you have a snowblower, but we get crazy snow. Sometimes we don't get any. So just because I haven't used it in a year doesn't mean I'm going to throw it out. But you understand that this, the stuff I'm looking at, it's like, yeah, I haven't done that. And in my head I'm thinking, but I might. No. Move it out. Fear is one of the biggest reasons. You know what the other big reason is why people hold on to stuff? Sentiment. Right? Oh, I got that as a gift. This was my first ribbon in third grade. You know, it's so important to me, whatever it is. I have a new way of dealing with this. This is a hard one for me. I have stuff that is so sentimental and emotional. I don't even know what it is anymore. (laughs) But it was at one time incredibly sentimental. Here's what I do. I physically do this. If this is the thing that I've been holding on to, I look at it. And again, I don't do this when people are around. I do this in the garage of the pole barn. I physically look at it and I say, thank you. Thank you for serving your purpose. And then I throw it out. It served its purpose. I don't need whatever. It's like the VHS tapes. Some of you don't even know what VHS tapes are. I don't have a player, but I got a lot of VHS tapes. It's like... The thing is, not to let stuff crowd out what matters most. That's the important thing. So first, if you want one handful living... We got to learn to throw out. The second thing gets a little tougher buy less. Some of you are thinking, too late. <laughs> Two days ago was Black Friday. Well, tomorrow's Cyber Monday, so there's still time for you <laughs> to buy less. I read this, this statistic, it was very fascinating because I get it. 62% of people, that's more than half, almost two thirds, 62% of people admit to shopping. Buying things to cheer themselves up. Something has gone wrong. Something is difficult. I can go buy something. You know? I can escape for a little bit. It's like a form of entertainment. You know, I need this new thing. My old one's bad. I need a new one. You know? It it helps them feel powerful. It's like a... It's at least a momentary significance that I have control over this. It was a good deal, right? Right? 
You know what that usually means? It usually means that we bought something we didn't need with money we didn't have to please people we don't like. And that's how we live our lives. It's a temporary high. And then you have more stuff that you or your kids are going to have to get rid of. Here's what Psalm 119 says. I love this in the Passion Translation, newer translation. It says this, Cause my heart to bow before your words. That's what God says in his word. Cause my heart to bow before your words of wisdom and not from the wealth of this world. I don't bow to the wealth of this world. I want to buy to what God says in his word, his words of wisdom. Verse 37 says, Help me turn my eyes, I love how it says it, away from illusions so that I pursue only that which is true. Because what the world has us pursuing looks good and it looks like it will make us happy. Those are actually the words that Satan said to Eve. It's, a, it's a, it desires to the eyes and it will make you happy. And, and we hear that and we believe it. We need to be able to turn our eyes from those illusions so that we pursue only that which is true. For me, I want my life, I want to get to the place in my life where my life is so full of Jesus, it is so full of God that I don't need stuff to fill a void. That it's just not necessary. Because the void is never going to be filled by that stuff anyhow. And when I have my life filled up with Jesus, when I am so full of Jesus and God that I don't need that stuff to fill a void, I will understand what one handful living is and peace. See, what we need to do more is stop thinking about how important the stuff is. And we need to choose experiences over things. Did you get that? Experiences over things. When I think of what I want my kids to remember, I don't want their grandest memory to be of some toy they got or some gift they got. I want them to remember, you know what's the important things to me for my kids when they were growing up? The best memories I have are every night, for way longer than most people thought it was okay and not weird, we would tell stories every night. Tell us a story, tell us a story. And it's like we made up 10 million stories. And it would always start with, if you're old and remember the Beverly Hillbillies, Tell us a story. All right. Well, come and listen to a story about a man. <laughs> and we would tell, we would make up a story, and they would realize partway in, they were in the story. And there was always a point. And I think back on that, and it's like, I'm glad that happened when I was younger, because I could never remember all that or think of all that now. But I think of that, and it's like, that's one of my best memories. Or we did something that most people would think was really weird. Okay, we did a lot of things that most people would think was, you know, at the bedtime when you're supposed to be calming your kids down because they're going to be going to bed shortly. That's when we would play hide-and-go-seek. And it wasn't just hide-and-go-seek. It was when you find me, I'm going to scare you! <laughs> and that's how we got our kids ready for bed. <laughs> you know what? That is one of my best memories. And I think of those things, those experiences, those memories, time with people that we love, not stuff that will burn up because it'll all be gone. So we need to throw out, we need to buy less, and the third thing is give more. 
Because when we throw out, when we buy less, we can give more. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 17 through 19. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world. I'm going to stop right there for a second because I know that like three-fourths of you just this second shut off because this isn't about me. This is about people who are rich. Because you're in America, I don't care where you're at. In your financial situation right now, you're rich compared to the overwhelming majority of the world. Most of you here got here in a car. It happened to most people in the world. Most people in the world, you, you go and you buy your, and I'm not saying this is bad, you buy your coffee from Big Bucks, I mean Starbucks. You buy your coffee from Starbucks. That's how much a lot of people on this planet, millions, 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 that's how much they make in a year. It's like, I'm not rich. You can order a freaking pizza on your phone to be delivered, and you tell me you're not rich? When people have nothing, we are the ones he's talking about here. When he says, command, that those, command those who are rich in this present world, that's us. Here's what we're to be commanded. Not to be arrogant. Not to put our hope in wealth. Notice he doesn't say don't have it. He just says don't put your hope in it. Which is so uncertain. The wealth is so uncertain it could be gone like that. But to put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Did you catch that? He never said, command those who are rich in the world to give everything away. He never said that. He said, God gives it to us for our enjoyment. It's, we don't feel guilty about the blessings. That's not what he's talking about. We don't feel guilty for the stuff we have. We just don't let the stuff have us. We don't let it be that mindset and heart attitude. The next verse is this. Command them to buy more, to hoard it all, to click buy now on Amazon a whole bunch of times. Does it say that? No, they didn't have Amazon back then. By the way, show of hands, and I'll have my hand up. I'll actually have both hands up. How many of you are going to, in the next month, buy something on Amazon.com? See your hands? Okay. This is public service announcements. Don't type in Amazon.com. Type in smile, like smile.amazon.com. Same site, same stuff. Same prices, same delivery. But when you type in smile.amazon.com, you can pick a charity. And a portion of what you spend goes to that charity. And guess what one of the charities can be? Journey North Church. Every single time I go to Amazon, which is like once a month, or four or five times a day, a little box pops up. And it says, thank you for using Smile. You have contributed, and it puts a number there to Journey North Church by buying stuff. It doesn't cost anything and you can contribute. Now, I would like that you pick Journey North Church. That's cool. But there's a million places you can pick that are good. So you might as well do that. And it's the same price, same stuff, same delivery, same everything. They just get... So if you don't do it, they're going to take their money and use it for bad things. So you better do it. So moving on, moving on. Here's what he says command them to do. Not... He says, not to put your hope in wealth, but to put it in God. And he says, command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. See, that's way more important than being rich in money. 
to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves, and this is very interesting, as a firm foundation for the coming age. You see, this world as it is, is not our home. When you die, if you know Jesus, if you are a child of God because you believed and received Jesus, this is not the end. We have a guarantee of heaven. And you can actually not just store up treasure in heaven, you can provide a better foundation for yourself in heaven. That's kind of mind-blowing. I didn't say that. He said that. He said, do that, be generous, willing to share, and you will lay up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That means it doesn't go away. It's there, and Jesus even tells us it's like a hundredfold to be able to do that. And then he says, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Because it's about having an amazing life for all eternity, but it's also about having a more abundant life now. And the abundant life now does not come from stuff. That's fleeting. You see, when I think of, when I think of the, the whole getting, giving thing, you know, I think, I don't have like a very heart-wrenching, tear-jerking, emotional story about getting something. <laughs> That's not where my best memories are. About something I got. Oh, I remember that when I was... 12 and I got this present. That's not where all my great memories are. I don't also have a lot of memories, a lot of great, you know, things that I could share with you that are great emotional stories about um, keeping stuff. Oh, you know, I was going to give that away, but I decided to keep it. I thought I might need it. Somebody else needs it now, but I might need it later. I don't have a lot of great emotional stories about that. But in my heart, I have a lot of great memories about giving. Because you know that for me, the big three for me, that what I want to be remembered for is my, my um, integrity, humility, and generosity. Those are non-negotiables. I want those overflowing everywhere. The generosity one started a while ago. It's also been a very difficult thing. But I can tell you this. I remember the first time I wrote out a check for a tithe of my income. Some of you, you can go look that up later. A check is this square thing, rectangular thing. You would write numbers on. and It's kind of like VHS tape. You might have to look that up. Um, some of you are still saying, what? <laughs> I remember I had no money. I didn't have enough to live on. I had not been taught that at home because that's not how they lived at my house. But I remember as I came to know Jesus and I got to know him better and I realized, well, he's kind of telling me to do this and I'm not doing this. Why am I not doing this? That's kind of not good. And then I had all the excuses. I'm not doing this because I don't have any money. I'm a college student. I'm working full time to pay for college because nobody else is going to pay for it for me and I don't have any money and I want to eat and blah. And I had all these reasons and God said, but it says this. I said, okay, fine. So I wrote the checkout. I actually remember writing that checkout. And I remember it has changed my life. Because looking back over the last 45 years of that, God has never, ever, ever once let me down. He has always been there. He has provided for all of my needs. He has not provided all of my wants, but he has provided all of my needs. I remember that. And because Julie and I have had that generosity wired into us now, we, we rewired ourselves 
so that it's not about what we get, it's about what we give. We've been able to give away cars. We've been able to give away a truck. We've been able to give away a house. We've been able to give to people who need it because we were able to do that. We're in the process right now of of getting to a point that I really wish I could have been at 50 years ago. I would have been 12. I was at that point 50 years ago. Um, We want to be debt-free from everything debt-free because that's the best way to be able to give when, when we're like that. So that's what we want to do because we know that this world as it is is not our home. So my question is, are you accumulating on earth what you cannot keep or are you investing in heaven what you cannot lose? We need to learn to let it go. I'd like to break into song right now, but I won't do that. Throw out, buy less, give more. Why is one handful better? Why is one handful living better? It's because your other hand's free. Free to help someone up. Free to give who someone who needs it. Free to, free to tie the church. Free to encourage somebody. Free to offer praise because you're not holding on to everything so tight. You see, many people who know Jesus struggle with this. I would say all of them struggle at one time or another with this. Because we think what we have will make our life better now. And it doesn't. Jesus makes our life better. That's where abundant life comes from. But I also know that there's people here. There's probably people going to be listening online too because I know with the weather there's going to be a like, major increase in downloads on our website for the sermons because people who couldn't get out of their driveway and stuff. I know that there's going to be a lot of people listening to this and probably in this room right now. You've been searching your whole life for stuff. You've been trying to fill this void and you can't find what you're looking for. You know, I can't get no satisfaction. I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried. I can't get no That's how you've lived your life. And you'll do something, you'll buy something, you'll acquire something, something will happen, and for a brief moment, everything will be okay, but it fades. And you realize you've been searching, you can't find what you're looking for because you've been looking in all the wrong places. There's only one thing that satisfies completely, and that's Jesus. A relationship with Jesus. It's not about church. It's not about the rules and the regulations. It's about having a relationship with Jesus who loved you so much. Your sin sent him to the cross. He hung on the cross and died and paid for sin because the wages of sin is death and it wasn't his sin he was paying for. It was ours. And John 1 says, we believe what God says about Jesus. We believe what Jesus says and we receive Jesus. And then he gives us the right, the privilege, the power, the authority to become children of God. That's the only way. That may be the piece of your life that's missing. It's not that one more thing that you need to buy. It's Jesus. And when we have Jesus, then we can start practicing one handful living. Instead of grabbing everything and thinking that's going to make us happy, we can practice one handful living and realize that what's important is what we want more of. We need less of what's not important and more of what's important. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as we close in prayer. Father, I know that um, this is something we all struggle with. We know that um, it's not the money that's bad. Jesus said that the love of money, that's the root of all evil. 
the heart issue. The thinking that stuff and things are going to satisfy and fill that void that we have when the only thing that can fill that is Jesus. So my prayer, Father, is for those who have never stepped across that line. They've never come to you and said, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I don't understand it all, but I want what he did to count for me. I'm going to give as much of my life as I understand to as much as I understand of you right now, God. And I'm going to believe what Jesus said. I'm going to believe that when I have faith and that I receive him, that I will become a child of God. And Father, for those who have already stepped across that line from unbelief to belief, I pray that we would know what it is to practice one handful living, knowing that one handful with peace and tranquility is way better than two handfuls with all the stress that goes with it. I pray, Father, that we would not be consumed by stuff, but that we would be consumed with you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. can't wait. I can't wait for that day. What if the stuff you have is robbing you of the life you want? Because your life is too valuable. Your calling is too great. Your God is too good for you to waste your life on stuff that doesn't last. So, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. We'll ask you to Pray for me on this one. It's a tough one for me. But with God's help, one handful living. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us in spite of us. For loving us right where we were. And reaching down and offering us hope and salvation and freedom and forgiveness. And that because of what Jesus did, when we accept Jesus and by faith place everything in Jesus' hands, we can have that freedom because of the forgiveness of sins, forgiven of our past, that we can have meaning and purpose in life today and a living hope for the future. Father, thank you for that. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.